All right. Well, good morning. Man, it is good to see y'all. It's good to be here with you. It's good to be online. We're really glad to be together. Yeah, man, that's cool. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. And uh, one of the things that we hope you hear from us over and over and over again, because we really believe it, is that we exist to influence people to find and follow Jesus. That's what we're all about. That's what we want to have everything we do flow to and flow from and flow through. We want to be all about influencing people to find and follow Jesus. And the goal of that is that we would become Christ-like influencers, that we would look like Jesus and help other people look like Jesus. So I started thinking about that, and I thought, man, what Jesus does is he's all about making things new. He's all about taking what we have that is worthless and then he's making us new. He's restoring us and making us right with him through what he has done. And I thought about that and we really like that idea, don't we? We love the idea of, of what's new. We love the idea of stuff being new, right? We like new phones. We like new cars. We like new houses. We like new stuff. But I think ultimately what we're seeking is when we're looking for something new, we're really looking for the change that it's going to bring. Because if I get something new, then I'm hoping that's going to improve my life somehow. I'm hoping if I get something new, it's going to bring me to a place that's better than I was before. So really what we're seeking is not necessarily the newness of the thing, but the change that it brings or the transformation that comes as a result. And I start thinking about that with the gym, right? We, we like the idea of going to the gym not because of going to the gym, Right? I don't want to be in a room with a bunch of other sweaty people. And like, that's just not what we want to pay monthly to do. We don't want to do that, right? We want the result that the gym will bring. We want to be transformed. I grew up in a culture where that was really important. Um, my stepbrothers were both bodybuilders. And one of them actually roomed with a guy who was Mr. Louisiana. Um, I'm from Louisiana. And he, like, so bodybuilding, there we go, Louisiana. And uh, <laughs> we have one. Um, but... When, when we think about the, the change that comes from that, right? Like we're looking to be changed somehow. But here's the deal. All those changes are temporary. We get a new phone and it gets outdated. We get a new car and it gets outdated. We get a new house and it starts to fall apart and we've got to fix it. Like all these things get outdated. We get a new body and it starts to sag. It gets old. Like that's just what happens, right? I'm sorry to surprise you with that, but that's what happens to our bodies. We, we go through change because the changes we seek in these new things are never what's going to bring real transformation. Real transformation is not something we can accomplish on our own. See, we can't produce real transformation. We cannot do that on our own. And when we get a hold of that, when we understand that we cannot produce real transformation, then we're positioned to see, okay, well, where can real transformation come from? Real transformation, real change, real transformation only happens in Christ. It only happens in Christ Jesus. And that is exactly the message that Paul was writing to the Corinthian church in the book of 2 Corinthians. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And what we're going to see here is this idea that there's this real transformation happening. And I know it's frustrating right now, but I want to encourage you to keep your masks on. I know there's a temptation to to kind of like, believe me, I'm sweating singing through it. But yeah, um, I want to encourage you to do that. But while we read this, we're going to see that Paul says exactly that same thing. He says exactly that idea that real transformation happens 
in Christ. And so we're going to get a little bit of context here, but as we open up our Bibles, I want you to know that we really do believe that the Bible is God's word. That there is nothing like it, there is no substitute for it, and because of that, because it is uniquely inspired, it's not just something somebody got together and said they wanted to put together, it's something that God inspired, it's God breathed, it's alive, it's active, and because of that, we want to look to it for real transformation, real hope comes from the word of God and by his spirit through what he's doing in it. So we want to give you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we want you to read this because we want you to know what's in here. So we've got them out at the welcome desk. We've got them online. If you want to comment there, you can let us know that you need a Bible. Just let us know and we'll get you a Bible for free because we love this word and we want you to have it. And if you have it, we want you to read it because when you open it and read it, that's when we start to see what that real truth is and that real transformation that happens. So let's take a look together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to read through verses, we'll read verses 17 through 21. All right, starting in verse 17, it says this. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And because this is God's word, I would love to pray for our time. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you speak to us right now by your Holy Spirit, and that this time would not be about what I have to say or about me, but or anybody else in this room, God. It would be about you and what you want to say to us. So I commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're talking about real transformation, right? We're talking about what God does to really transform us. Now, we pursue a lot of different things, right? We talked about the gym and some new stuff. We talk about self-help kind of books, and even some sermons kind of tend to lean that way. It's like, yeah, just fix yourself. Get your best life right now. And, like, none of that is really what, what God's talking about. And Paul is reminding the Corinthian people of that. And what's interesting is we look at verse 17. I want to pull that up here. We look at verse 17. Look what he says. He starts with the word therefore. And whenever we see therefore in scripture, we have to stop and we have to ask, what is it therefore? Right? We have to say, why is therefore there? Like, what's it there for? And it's because it's referencing all the stuff Paul said. Remember, these books are written as letters to these churches. And so the numbers and the chapters and all that stuff's put in after the fact. And so everything Paul has said up to this point is leading him to now say, therefore, this is what's going to happen. And what had happened is, you see, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth because they were kind of going off the rails. He had planted this church And he was really excited about planting it. And then he followed up and he said, oh, they're not doing well. So he wrote him a letter and then that letter got lost. And so he wrote him another letter and we call that 1 Corinthians, which is really 2 Corinthians, but it's the first one that we have. And then there was another letter in between there and he called that a harsh letter and he wrote that to them. And he's like, guys, you're still not getting this right. And we don't have that one either, but he references it in 2 Corinthians because we have 2 Corinthians, which is really at least 4 Corinthians. And so are you following so far? That's 
That's what Paul's saying. He's, he's writing to him. He's writing to him. And then at this point, he's impassioned. He's pleading with him. He's saying, please, be reconciled. Know the gospel. Get this and let it change you. Guys, don't get distracted by these new things that promise transformation but never deliver. But focus on transformation that's real and that's only going to happen in Christ. And so he's building up to these principles. He's pointing to saying, we've got to focus on the future not just here and now. We've got to look to eternity. We've got to look to fearing God and not people. We've got to fear God and not people. We've got to love because of Christ. We've got to love other people because of Christ and pursue gospel relationships. And that's the kind of thing that he's getting at. So all of the stuff that leads up to this therefore is kind of touching on all that. And I think this next verse kind of sums it up a little bit. So if you look at verse 14, which is just a few verses before where we were, this is what he says. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. Do you get that? The love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all and therefore all died. So we're all needing Jesus. The love of Christ is what controls us. The love of Christ is what drives us. In Christ is where this stuff is going to happen. So he's getting to this point here and he's saying, because of all this, because of the love of Christ, you got to understand it. If you can't show love to others, then you probably don't understand the love of Christ. If you can't show this to other people, then you haven't understood what the love of Christ is about. He's saying the love of Christ controls us. And then he gets to verse 17 and he says, therefore, because we have this different focus, because the love of Christ controls us, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, I love the way that he words that there because we miss some of it in English. See, we read it, and it seems to be kind of a sentence, right? It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. And that makes sense. There are verbs and all that. But in the Greek, there's no verb there. There's just this transition. He goes, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, new creature, new creation. It just kind of comes right out of him. He's saying these two ideas are so inextricably linked. They're so connected. There's no separation between them. Paul couldn't see a difference between being in Christ and being a new creation. You can't be one without the other. If you're in Christ, you've been changed. You've been transformed. If you're a new creation, it's because you're in Christ. They they can't happen apart from each other. And so he's saying if you're a new creature, then there are these old things pass away and new things have come. I kind of think about it like this. You know, I have a son who's four years old. He likes to drop verbs from sentences sometimes. And he'll say, he has this, this phrase that he says, when he wants somebody to hold him or, or pick him up, he'll say, I want loving. Like, I want loving. Mommy, I want some loving, whatever. But what he want, when he really wants loving, like if he's gotten hurt or if he's sad or scared or whatever, he doesn't say, oh, mother, could you please pick me up and give me some love? He says, mommy, loving. Like, he just screams right to it, right? And he, that's what he wants. And that's, I think, kind of what Paul is getting at here. He's like, in Christ, new creation. In Christ, there's, there's, no, there's no space between it. And what's cool about the word new that he uses here is new is not the kind of new that's like the recent or the latest or the, the most you know, hip fad, which is so outdated for me to even say that. But like it's, it's, it's not just what's the latest fashion. It's not the most recent thing. It's not an updated software. It's not an antique that's been restored. It's something new that is of a completely different kind that is better See, what he's saying is that in Christ, new creation is supremely better 
than any version of anything that we could come up with. Do you get that? He's saying this in Christ. It's not just what's recent. It's what's supremely better. In him, we've got to be totally remade. Jesus called it being born again. Right? We have to be reborn. We have to be made new in him. And that's what he's getting at here. It's this idea that the work of the Holy Spirit in us regenerates us. Because in Christ, we experience regeneration. In Christ, we experience this new creation that we call regeneration. So Paul says, so you're in Christ. You're experiencing regeneration. Well, so now what? He says, if you're in Christ and you've experienced regeneration, well, then, then now you live like it. He says, you're a new creation in Christ. You, you need to live according to that. Look at what he says in the next verses, verse 18 and 19. He says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself. It's from God. He's doing the work. It's not us making ourselves better versions of ourselves. It's him doing it in us. He says, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So he's saying, you've understood that in Christ we experience regeneration. Now, live like it. we got to live like that in this thing called reconciliation. Because he's saying it's going to be really frustrating for you if you try to live and not practice the ministry of reconciliation. If you try to live a regenerated life in Christ and you're not practicing the ministry of reconciliation, you're missing something. And you're going to be really frustrated. You ever been really frustrated trying to be something that you're not? Right? We've all experienced that at some point. He's saying, you are in Christ. You are regenerated. Therefore, you are a minister of reconciliation. That's different for you. Your identity has changed. He says, things don't feel right without it. I think back to when I was in Pennsylvania and I worked on staff at a church there And there was this lady named Donna, and she was a wonderful lady. I loved, loved working with her. And we we got along pretty well. And something happened one day, though, when we launched a new project at our church. We launched a new space. We called it the Next Steps space. And when we launched this space, I was kind of overseeing it. And I, I apparently became kind of a jerk. And I, w- I was telling her what to do, and I was kind of bossing her around and pointing fingers. And I, was, I, I, I didn't realize it at the time. I guess I had been in Pennsylvania for a while and got pretty task-focused instead of my southern Louisiana upbringing. But, but I got up there, and I started, I started pointing the finger and telling her, it was like, you need to do this, you need to do this. And after it was over, I'm clueless. I have no idea that this was even an issue. But all the next part of the beginning of the week, I felt this tension, between, like something wasn't right. You know, and we'd be in staff meeting. I'm like, mm, she's kind of glaring at me weird. What's going on? And then I'd be like, hey, what's going on? She's like, fine. Okay. And I could tell there was some tension between us. Now, because I was stubborn and didn't get it, she came to me and she confronted me. And thank God she did. She came up and she said, John, you really treated me like a jerk. You're really mean. And man, when she did that, it, it brought this awareness to me, like, man, I'm so sorry. 
and I apologized, and we had this, this time of, of reconciliation that happened, and then our relationship got so much better. And we wound up actually working closer and closer together because our ministry areas started aligning more and more. And then we, our families got to know each other really well, and they became some great family friends because of that. But the thing is, is that without reconciliation, things are not right. It just doesn't feel right. And what Paul is saying here is that we need to be reconciled to God. And without that, things are not going to feel right. But it doesn't just stop there. He says, you need to be reconciled to God. But guess what? The whole world needs to be reconciled to God. Because the whole world needs it, then we're called to go and do it. To be ministers of reconciliation. See, in Christ, we are called to reconciliation. In Christ, we're called to make things right. In Christ, we're called to show other people how they can have this right relationship with God through Jesus, not because of who they are, but because of who he is. So I love seeing that here. I love that even though the whole world knows there's something wrong and something doesn't quite feel right, God gives us the ministry to go say, here's what the answer is. Here's the truth. So we go out and we we have this ministry of reconciliation in the authority of Christ. He gives us the word of reconciliation. He says, go and tell this truth. We're called to this ministry of reconciliation. And then we get to another therefore. Look at verse 20. So he says, the love of Christ is controlling us. Therefore, you're regenerated. You're a new creation in Christ. And because you're a new creation in Christ, then you have this ministry of reconciliation. And because you have this ministry of reconciliation, therefore, what's it there for? It's there for us to know that because of all that, this is the result. He says we're ambassadors for Christ. You're an ambassador. You're representing his interests. This means it's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about him. It's all about what he wants to do. It's all about his purposes and his plan. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God himself. Do you think about this? This should blow your mind right here. That God who created the whole universe, spoke it into being, that God, the eternal God, the God of the universe, he's making an appeal through us. It's like he's making an appeal through us to the world. And he says, we beg you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. And be reconciled. If you're not reconciled with God, you're missing out. We beg you be reconciled to God. And then he encapsulates the whole picture of the gospel. Because the gospel is really all about substitution. When we say gospel, we just mean good news, right? The good news about Jesus is this right here. It says, he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's that picture of being in Christ. And if we're in Christ, we're new creations. And if we're new creations, then we have the ministry of reconciliation. If we have the ministry of reconciliation, then we are ambassadors for him. And what do we do as ambassadors? We represent him. It's about him and his righteousness. You know, I think back to when I was about 12 or 13 years old, and my dad brought us to a Houston Rockets game. And we got to go watch Hakeem Olajuwon, who was like my favorite player at the time. And I got to watch him play basketball. He was an amazing player. They played the Seattle Supersonics and won. It was a great game. So I was all excited. And after the game's over, my dad takes me and my brother and my stepsister, and we go back 
behind where the locker rooms are and we're waiting with the security gates and everything and we've got like crowds and crowds of people and there's press and photographers and cameras and everything film and they're they're looking for the players to come out and the players come out and they're they're walking out they've just showered and everything thankfully and they just showered and they came out and and as they're they're walking they're looking at everybody they're kind of waving at a few people and shaking a couple hands maybe signing a couple things and then Hakeem Olajuwon comes out and the guy is just, I mean, he's seven feet tall, so he's towering over everybody, and he's looking out over the crowd, and he's amazed. I mean, everybody's like, Hakeem, Hakeem, Hakeem. They're all trying to get his attention, and they're screaming, and they're Hakeem, 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 look at me. Hey, Hakeem, hey, Kim, look at me, look at me. And everybody's screaming his name, and he's just kind of like, yeah, hey, whatever. Okay, yeah, I'm just, I'm awesome. And he walks by, and then my dad says, Hakeem. Hakeem. I can't do my dad's voice, but it's pretty cool. And he's like, Hakeem, Hakeem. And Hakeem looks down, because he's really tall. He looks down at my dad, and he goes, Wayne. Because <laughs> I didn't know this. Hakeem Olajuwon knows my dad. My dad did some work in Nigeria with this oil company that had apparently worked with some of his land or something. And you see, this is, this is the point, though, is everybody is clamoring for attention from Hakeem Olajuwon. Everybody wants his attention. Everybody wants him to look at them. Everybody knew who he was. But what mattered is when he knew who we were. Right? What mattered is when he was able to say, Wayne, and he looks. Then the gates open, and the security guys come over, and they let us through. And we have these pictures of me, like, standing I'm at his hip. Like, I'm just I'm super short. And, and I've got autographs on basketball cards and, like, headshots and pictures and stuff. I mean, it was such a cool experience. We got called in. We were granted access. Why? Because of relationship. That's a little picture of the gospel. That's what he's saying right here. He's saying it's him who knew no sin. Taking our sin on himself. And then giving us his righteousness. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that we could have access. So that we could draw near to God. You know, one of the things that we always talk about with our sons is whenever there's any kind of offense or any kind of tension or any sort of apology that needs to happen, we ask and we say, what, what needs to happen right now to make things right? What do we need to do to make things right? Like, what would you do wrong, but what do we need to do to make things right? And here, Jesus did it. He made things right because we couldn't. And then we have the opportunity to become his righteousness. Because in Christ, we become his righteousness. This is why we live. This is why we exist. This is why ministry can happen. This is why anything that goes in the, in the church or in this whole world, the Great Commission happens because we have the righteousness of Christ on us. I, I kind of like it like this. There's a quote that I like, and I don't know who wrote it, but it's, it's anonymous. So it says, we are so in Christ that we should function only as he does. He was in the flesh, so we are. And he is in the spirit, so we are. We recognize people according to him, not according to our senses. This is the new creation in Christ, walking by faith into which we are regenerated 
manifested in becoming more like him in his ministry of reconciliation, his purpose, and his righteousness. And I love that idea that we're so aligned with Jesus, so identifying with him, that that's how we recognize other people. And that's exactly what Paul talks about. I encourage you to read 2 Corinthians and check out that book. It's a pretty impassioned letter that he writes to these people in the church at Corinth. The gospel is this picture of substitution that we could not make ourselves right with God. We can't. We just can't do it. Because our efforts never produce real transformation. But, thanks be to God, that he came in the flesh, died for us the death that we deserve, so that we could have the righteousness that he only, he alone deserves. But he gives it to us. And it's not because of who we are or what we do. We can't make ourselves good enough for him. It's the righteousness of Christ given to us through faith in him. So I pray, I beg you today, be reconciled to God. I pray that you would know the truth of the gospel that sets you free. I pray that you would know that that's the call to make disciples, is that it's based on this righteousness of God. I think a good, a good summary of it is like this, that regeneration establishes our identity in Christ for the purpose of reconciliation, representing his righteousness. That when we have this new creation, this new identity, when we're in Christ, it's for the purpose of reconciliation. That's what we should be all about. And it's representing his righteousness. That's what we're ambassadors of. We get to go and share that with the whole world. So I beg you today, be reconciled to God. Know him and know his righteousness. And let's stop trying to, to fill ourselves up with the stuff that we think is going to produce real transformation. Only in Christ can real transformation happen. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you are true and right and good and that you always do beyond what we could ask or think. God, you provide so graciously. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be understanding that the love of Christ controls us, that we are regenerated in you for the purpose of reconciliation, that you give us a purpose. And then God, that 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 ministry of reconciliation represents your righteousness to the whole world. Thank you that we are ambassadors for you. And I pray that we would represent you well. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.